This is episode number 194, Mother's Day with New Mothers, Laura King and myself, Sonia Looney. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I think there are a lot of people out there who, like us, gain a lot out of exercise and movement and who need to hear the fact that their body is still capable of a lot while pregnant and who are inspired by us sharing our stories and who feel maybe a little bit better about being able to do their activity or try something because they've realized that one recommendation is not for all and that it really is so individual. And a great big hello to all of you out there listening to my show. While it doesn't feel like you guys have had a break from the podcast because I pre-recorded so many episodes before my son Bradley was born, I feel really excited to be back on the microphone because it's been a couple of months since I've recorded a podcast and it feels reinvigorating to be recording another intro and getting to talk to you guys directly once again. Today's topic is one that I haven't really talked about very much on the podcast, and that's the topic of pregnancy and new motherhood. And I was really excited that Laura King, a fellow elite cyclist, was pregnant at the same time that I was. And in fact, we actually had our babies one week apart. So I thought that it would be really fun to have both of us talk about our experiences on the podcast today. The format is slightly different in this episode. Normally, I ask questions and just try and get out of the way and don't talk very much. So if you hear me talking a little bit more, it's because I wanted this podcast to be more of her and I sharing our experiences together so you guys can see your stories through us. Pregnancy and motherhood and parenthood look different for everybody, but I really wanted to discuss what it was like for both of us to train and ride our bikes through our pregnancies. And in fact, Laura did some races. I, I didn't feel like I could, but she did, which is really inspiring. And we also talked about what it's like afterwards because there's just a lot of different information out there and surely everybody has different experiences with their pregnancies and with their body postpartum. But she and I both wanted to just show that if you want to and feel able to continue riding your bike, that it's doable. And we wanted to be able to provide some resources that were helpful for us. If you're not familiar with Laura, she has an incredible background in endurance sports. She was a competitive swimmer, which led to 12 years competing in triathlon, including the Ironman World Championships and earning a pro license. She also was invited to USA Cycling's Talent ID Camp and had a simultaneous job offer for a major industry position. So she chose the industry position and pursued racing as a passion. She's had a successful career in sales and marketing in the outdoor industry, and that is how she and I met. And now she races in the pro elite field, focusing on gravel, but her heart is getting more girls and women on bikes, the camaraderie and the satisfaction of a huge effort. And she also loves traveling and the experiences that come with it. She is married to professional cyclist Ted King, and they are both spearheading their gravel race and ride Rooted Vermont. As I mentioned, we had our babies one week apart. She had her baby one week before me, a beautiful baby girl named Hazel. And she and Ted both share their journeys as parents on their Instagram. In this episode, we talked about a number of different topics relating to pregnancy and new parenthood, some of which are frequently discussed and some of which you may not hear about very often. We both talked about our experiences with miscarriage. Laura talked about her experience with fertility. We talked about discussing how to know how much riding is safe for you, postpartum life and return to training, and a really important one, dealing with fear and uncertainty. And dealing with fear and uncertainty and identity is a big part of being pregnant, but it's also a big part of daily life and as we're finding a big part of being parents. In select podcast episodes this year, you're going to hear some short stories and insights into what my life has been like getting back on the bike, getting back into racing, and how I'm balancing it all as a new mom. And this segment is 
supported by one of my sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, and they've been awesome. They've been incredibly supportive through my experience being pregnant. And the trainer, their Wahoo Kicker, was something that I used a lot, especially over the winter. Now, the Kicker is something that I use every year over the winter. And in fact, last year, I trained for the Cape Epic and 24 Hours in the Old Pueblo on the trainer. And I've spent a lot of time on that thing. It's a really great way to get in shape or to maintain fitness because you can train for a shorter period of time and get more bang for your buck because it's really efficient. And it's also really fast to just throw on a pair of shorts and a sports bra if you're a woman and just go hop on the bike instead of the long time it takes to get everything ready to ride outside. I don't know about you guys, but I'm always surprised how long it takes me to get my act together to get on the bike outside. Having the trainer throughout the winter, because the winter was end of my second trimester and my third trimester, and I rode up until the week that my baby was born, and the trainer was something that made it easy for me to show up, and that was my mantra and is my mantra, is just to show up, and I've talked about this in a Crush It Monday before, which I'll link in the show notes, but oftentimes, whenever we're tired or we're going through changes or things are hard it's hard just to get started. It's hard to just get up off the couch and get moving. And our brains start making all of these different excuses as to why we shouldn't get started. And also, you could just be wondering, am I really tired or am I being lazy? And it's hard to know the difference sometimes. So just showing up, regardless of whatever it is that you're trying to do, and just committing to just a few minutes. And then you can decide after that if you want to keep going or not. And then you know if you're making excuses and if you're being lazy or if you actually do need rest. And Rest is important. I think that for a lot of people, the rest part is not respected. So also making sure that you're getting the adequate rest needed. But whenever you can lower the activation energy to get started on something and just show up, it makes such a massive difference in your life because it's our daily actions that we take every single day that define who we are and define the direction that we go in. It's easy to set an end goal or an outcome and say, I want to achieve X or I want to complete X. But it's really the things that you do every single day that get you in that direction. And showing up is the first step. For me, having the trainer in my garage made it a lot easier to show up on my bike on the days that I didn't want to ride. And I could just do five minutes if I wanted to because I hadn't invested a lot of time getting ready to ride. I could just pop in the garage, pop out. And most of the time, whenever I get started, I end up going more than the five minutes that I asked myself to go. Sure, there have been times where I've turned around and gone home outside or just stopped riding my bike in the garage for a short period of time. But most of the time, it was just the energy to get started that got me going and that carried me through and that helped me stay consistent and committed to my goals while I was pregnant. And one thing I just want to let you guys know is that earlier this week on the Wahoo Fitness Breakfast with Boz podcast, I was a guest and Ian Boswell asked me a lot of questions about motherhood, some of the things that were not talked about in this episode on my show. So that is also linked in the show notes. Make sure you check out the podcast Breakfast with Boz. And one last thing before Laura and I get into our podcast, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of you who have shared the podcast on Instagram and sent me messages. It really means the world to me whenever I see that this show is making a difference in your lives. And that is so fulfilling for me and it makes all the hard work completely worth it. Also, big, big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon and PayPal. And that's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. Or you could go to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts and you can see the links to donate on PayPal or Patreon. The show is just passing its three-year birthday, three years of a weekly or even twice weekly podcast. And Thank you to those of you who have been with me from the beginning and to those of you joining me now. It's, it's super cool and it's my pleasure and honor to be able to do this show. And if you want to make sure that you don't miss an episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you like. You can even listen to these podcasts on Spotify. And on Fridays, I send out a free weekly newsletter and it's really short to the point. And it just tells you what the new podcast is for the week and any article that I might have written to go along with that. And that's sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. All right, so let's get into today's episode with myself and Laura King. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's fun to see you in person or be talking to you over audio rather than our 24-7 text messages at every hour of the day or evening. (laughs) Um, 
yeah, so it's, it's really fun to get to chat about pregnancy and being new moms because we've spent so much time texting and sending messages, but we haven't actually like talk talked about it yet. I know. I've been looking forward to this all week. <laughs> yeah. And there's just so many people who have followed both of our stories. And I think both of us really being so close together. I mean, we had our babies one week apart. Like, how cool is that? I know. And it and we swapped. I know <laughs> in that you were due a week before me, but then I ended up being early and you ended up being a little late. Yeah, it was really hard being late. Like I was eight days late and I was just wishing that I was early. And every day they went by, I kept thinking, am I going to have to get induced? And I was so afraid of having to give birth in the hospital, which ended up what I ended up doing anyway, which we can talk about in a little bit. But yeah, it's just so funny how you try so hard to control it, but you can't control anything. That's a very key takeaway. <laughs> yeah, so let's start with that. Let's, let's start with lack of control during pregnancy and how pregnancy went for you. I feel like I'm a person who likes to have control and who for most of my life has felt like I am in control of my circumstances. And pregnancy was definitely an exercise in not having control over a lot of things. And so one of the one things that I felt like I still had control of was movement of my body and exercise. And, and that to me, like was a huge coping mechanism for for dealing with all the changes that were happening every day that were definitely not within my control. So, you know, you have your hormones changing and affecting your mood. You have your weight gain. The weight gain was something that was definitely something I was never not used to. I've kind of maintained my weight most of my life. So that was something new and sometimes difficult to deal with. You have your identity changing. You have your future changing, you don't, and you don't know what any of that looks like. So yeah, for me, exercise was definitely one component that really would, I just felt like anytime those, my anxieties would creep up about the uncontrollables, it was something that kind of mellowed my emotions and helped me to feel like, okay, well, I don't know. I have all these uncertainties, but I feel a relaxation <laughs> that comes from exercise. And I feel like it's something I can do to keep my body in um, as healthy as possible, keep my mind as clear and healthy as possible. And I would just, I found that every time, you know, to go along with your mantra that you promote, just showing up, every time I would just show up, I would finish my workout and just feel in a much more healthier state of mind. Yeah. And in cognitive behavioral therapy, they say like, focus on the things that you can control. And the best way to get a hold of anxiety is to control the controllables. Were you worried about not being able to exercise during pregnancy? Because everybody has different stories, both during pregnancy and also postpartum of what they were able to do. And with exercise, I was the same thing for me. It was something that I love to do. I got to get outside. I got to feel semi like myself on the bike, even though I felt pretty terrible <laughs> in terms of like, I didn't feel strong on my bike, but being able to still maintain that sense of this is me, I'm still me, even though my body is changing, I can still get out in the forest. There's been mixed opinions about whether I should have been mountain biking or not, but I can still be mountain biking through my entire pregnancy. Did you have any worries that you were going to have to stop riding your bike at a certain point during your pregnancy? My biggest fear, it wasn't just the bike. It was fear of, yeah, if I movement is my therapy. So I cared less about riding a bike and more about being able to continue to move my body and to have those daily endorphins that I rely on so much. You know, I enjoyed other activities like swimming and a little bit of running until running wasn't comfortable anymore. But cycling, you know, it conveniently worked out to be the activity that felt the best throughout my entire pregnancy. But it really was that I, yes, I had many fears around the fact that I would you know, my mom at the end of her pregnancy with me had to be on bed rest for two months. And that I thought about that a lot. And I thought about how would I deal with that if that came to be the case for me? I know that I would have found a way through it. Obviously, first and foremost, I wanted my baby to be born healthy. And that was the first priority. But I am so I continue to be so grateful for every day that I had that I was able to move my body because that was a big component of just helping me to get through all the new the newness and changes that were happening. 
A big question that people ask me and that I know people have asked you as well, and you've written a great article on this and we'll put it in the show notes, but it was about like, how much am I allowed to do while pregnant? And that was certainly a question that I had is, well, what's really allowed? Like, how hard am I allowed to go? How long am I allowed to ride? Can I still mountain bike? Like, what is too much? Am I going to cause problems to my unborn baby? And for me, my medical team was, I chose midwives. And in Canada, they're a part of the regular medical system. So they told me that I could just do what I was comfortable with. They said, based on the, you know, most of the advice is like, don't start a new sport when you're pregnant, but you can continue doing what you were doing. And fortunately, I only had two midwives that I cycled through and they both knew kind of my status as a cyclist. So they kept saying, it's okay as long as you feel okay. And they said, you know your body best, you know what to do. So I kind of had that freedom. And then I asked my husband, Matt, to kind of, you know, keep an eye on me a little bit. But I I think that I was actually pretty conservative with my approach. And I did go based on how my body felt. And people say, oh, well, like, how are you going too hard? But I physically wasn't able to go too hard. Like my body would just had its own governor that stopped me from going too hard. But in terms of finding information, it was really hard to do that. And I just sort of read as many cyclist blogs as I could. And I found a few books, but you seem to have a lot of really great information that I would love for you to share your findings with the audience. You know, I wish just thinking about my medical team, I feel like I got very little information from them. A lot of it was just very like blanket recommendations. But because I also visited an office where I saw a different doctor every time I, you know, there are eight different physicians within the office and they have you cycle through each one. Because at the end of the day, when you give birth, one of those physicians will be on call and will be the ones delivering your baby. So because of that, I never really got to know any of my providers very well. They never really got to know me very well. We went through a lot of the same questions every time I went to a visit, which was kind of frustrating because I really desired to have a more in-depth conversation and to, you know, it's the decision about whatever activity you decide to do while pregnant or what you decide to eat all kinds of things that could affect the health are not always so straightforward and they are nuanced and they do require, I think, deeper conversation rather than just, um, I wasn't satisfied with just hearing a recommendation and not being able to talk through, well, why is that, you know, what, and to kind of challenge some of them. Thankfully, I mean, like you, I rely a lot on blogs on the internet and I'm thankful to have a few friends here in Vermont who had were very remained very active throughout their pregnancy and I was able to chat with them about their experiences but I also Dr. James Clapp wrote a book Exercising Through Your Pregnancy and you know it's one of the one books it was recommended to me by a friend here who remained active through her pregnancy and I joke about it kind of being my bible because it's really the one very you know, scientifically founded book that went in depth enough on the nuances of what his findings were in studies on athletes during pregnancy. And that really kind of helped me feel like I could develop some safe guidelines around what was safe and what wasn't. And through that, I just came to have a real appreciation of our our bodies. I mean, there's the efficiencies that your body creates while pregnant. I mean, the fact that your rate of respiration rises over 50%, like everything that happens. I mean, they found that if you regularly exercise, your placenta, the organ that is responsible for gas transfer and nutrients to the baby, if you regularly exercise and then you stop in the third trimester, they often found that the baby would, your baby on average would be bigger because the placenta had already adapted to the level of exercise that the mom was doing and was subsequently providing, you know, additional nutrition to the baby. So I just found all that fascinating. And then I guess I also kind of treated every day as a little bit of a, self-experiment in the safest way possible, I guess. I mean, it's like, I do believe your body, I mean, you probably, you experience this too. Like it, it tells you when you need to back off. It, It really gives you indications of what is probably best for you or what is not. So if there was ever, if there are ever any issues, which there really weren't, but I, 
you definitely feel that your body doesn't let you go past a certain threshold and that you just can't simply can't work as hard as you could before. And other than that, yeah, that's the bulk of my kind of information was coming from those resources and then just my gut. Yeah. And I think for people listening, if they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to know? And I think what you said is just showing up every day and just realizing that every day you might be a different athlete. Like we're used to being consistent as athletes and feeling consistent. But I I found for me while I was pregnant and also postpartum, I'm not consistent how I feel every day. And it's really hard for me to have expectations as to how the day is going to go until I get on my bike and start pedaling. So being able to listen to your body and being okay with like, hey, if you feel bad, turn around and go home. And there's there are rides where I rode for 10 minutes and I went home. There are days I rode for two and a half hours. Like it just depends on how you feel and just being comfortable. And it can be hard because if your identity and self-worth are tied up in how many miles you've ridden or how many hours you've ridden, then that can be a real challenge as a pregnant athlete. So I think that there is a shifting of expectations of I'm doing this to be healthy. I'm lucky that I can still be doing this. And if I need to change sports, like you mentioned swimming, a lot of women I know have switched to swimming later in their pregnancy because it just felt better. But just doing the thing that feels good instead of what you, quote, think you should be doing. Absolutely. For me, a lot of my activity was also driven around community. I just really thrive on, especially as someone who works from home and is, I mean, I'm pretty solitary unless I'm I'm getting out to do my activity. So I joined a master's swim group. And often when I was out riding, I almost always was meeting up with a friend. For me, that was a part of my therapy too. Like I need to be around other people. I love the energy that comes from exercising and sharing my passion with other people. And I, that often was just a real mood booster for me. That was definitely key too. So I want to talk about miscarriage because you and I actually both had one and I didn't even know that you had had one until we talked about a blog post I'd written about it. Can you talk about your experience with miscarriage and also with fertility? So yeah, it was actually, I just made a post yesterday, but it was one year ago where, you know, we didn't, I guess to back up, let's see, Ted and I got married in 2017. We, one of the first questions he asked me before we even started dating was whether I wanted kids, which I was totally surprised by, but appreciated that that was something that he was thinking about on the forefront of his mind. And we were definitely on the same page that we did want that in our future at some point. We were already, gosh, I think 35 or 34, 35 years old when we got married. And so it was something that we needed to be thinking about sooner rather than later. But as someone who is, you know, healthy, have a family history of good fertility, athletic, I I really assumed that it would be something that would come pretty easy. And we never really kind of sat down and said, okay, we're now officially trying, but it was something that we weren't definitely trying to stop. (laughs) But after a year of nothing happening and not getting pregnant, I kind of started to have thoughts of, you know, hmm, I wonder if everything is working right, or I wonder, I wonder what I should do. I definitely never considered going to a fertility physician, I kind of felt like maybe there was a, I felt like that was a really drastic step and maybe a little bit of a stigma in taking it that far. I'm really thankful that we happen to have a good friend who is a fertility physician. And while we felt the topic was kind of awkward to bring up, she's so used to having the conversation that she just volunteered, you know, hey, if you guys want kids, you should come into the office and get a workup and find out kind of what's going on. And that started the conversation between Ted and I, which was really helpful. And we just decided to, yeah, why why shouldn't we go in there and do that? And it's really important to note that, you know, I'm only 50% of the equation. So Ted also had tests done. And, you know, through the whole experience, I mean, I've become a huge advocate for anyone that, especially my friends who are over 35 and where fertility becomes more of an issue. I really advocate for going and just figuring out what your basically your status is because there's so much information that I learned that felt really empowering and also felt like I was taking control of the situation and and learning about my body I learned you know you learn like what your egg count is and that's only one little component of your fertility but 
what I did learn is that years of endurance exercise likely had a little bit of a impact on how things were working, which I never had any indication of like personally, and I never would have suspected that. So that was really interesting to learn. And then the great thing about that was that it's very overcomable and it was a pretty simple fix. Basically I had a weak ovulation and was able to take a medicine that just helps basically strengthen and boost your ovulation. And so we were lucky that that worked and we were elated to become pregnant. And then when you do visit a fertility physician, you get a lot more testing than you typically would. So from the very beginning, I was getting ultrasounds, getting to see the progress. And we were about six weeks in and there was already a heartbeat. But unfortunately, at that point, I learned that the heartbeat was lower than normal. And from the research that I did, it was very unlikely that it was going to be viable. So I mean, obviously, well, it was a painful couple of weeks where we just had to wait and see. Well, I'd say less painful, but more anxiety inducing and just a really like heart wrenching time. And, you know, it ended up not being and wow, it was a lot more emotional and just a, a harder experience than I ever anticipated. And Sometimes I wrestled with whether I should feel as terrible as I did because it's like, you know, it was only like it was so early and that you don't have any like there is no real attachment yet. But why do I feel so terrible? And I learned a lot through that, that entire experience by beginning to share with friends around me. I learned how much more common it is than I realized. And I learned that similarly, most people who go through that experience feel it as much as I did and that it, it's normal and it's it's okay to be really sad about it. So, yeah, that was a really tough experience and you know, it was hard to kind of recover quickly from that and say and decide like yeah, let's try again. I actually had a mindset where I think I was trying to protect my emotions a little bit and was kind of acting like I really didn't care whether it would happen. I did deep down, but I was trying to manage my expectations. So surprisingly, we became pregnant the next month. And so that was unexpected. But when I did find out the news, I had a hard time believing it. And then I had a hard time kind of, I didn't want to become too excited. And I guess wanting to protect my emotions continued throughout the pregnancy. And with every test and every check-in and every bit of positive information, things got a little better. And I kind of was able to feel a little more confident every at every time. But I do think that once you've gone through a miscarriage, there you're definitely affected by it long term in that like even if I think I were to become pregnant again, I think I would be ner- as nervous as I was this time around. Um just because you know like it's fascinating when you really look at how much needs to go right in order (laughs) for everything to be for this, you know, in nine months to have this healthy human being. And um, it's really also made me appreciate like, when all those things do go right, what a huge blessing it is, and what a gift it is. So yeah, I'm able to see that now coming out the other end. But I do feel like, you know, I have an empathy for others that I definitely didn't have before now knowing um, what a difficult journey it can be. And some people's journeys are far more difficult than mine. So yeah, I can totally relate with that. For me, the hard part about getting pregnant was I had a kind of my plans were uncertain whenever we decided, okay, we're going to start trying this because you plan races far in advance, you make commitments. And if you happen to get pregnant along the way, well, those commitments might have to change. So that was really hard for me to say, okay, I'm going to start trying now. So I started trying at the end of it was I forget what year it was uh, not last year, I think it was yeah, end of 2018. I said, okay, like it's August, let's let's pull the goalie and see what happens. And I was very fortunate that I was able to get pregnant right away, which I wasn't expecting because I had heard so many stories of, you know, expected to take a year. I was also over 35 and I had all these plans. I had all these. And that that was the year of burnout for me as well. Like I basically traveled every week of the entire year and I had an entire, you know, multiple months of travel planned out in front of me. 
So whenever I got pregnant, I was already in this crazy state of burnout and stress. And it, I was my body, I don't think was in a good place to really even get pregnant. I hadn't been sick in four years. And I was sick all the time that year, just because I literally was it was like textbook burnout. And I thought, well, I'm pregnant now, should I slow down? But I've already made these commitments. So I just kept going and I kept going. And everything I've read said you can't cause a miscarriage. But like it was really hard when it happened, but it was I'm not happy it happened, but I think that that was the right thing for what was going on. And I was on a trip. I was in Utah doing this trip with the tourism board and I had all these like public things I had to had to be there for and I couldn't go to the doctor because well, I guess I could have, but it would have been expensive because I'm on Canadian healthcare now. So like I like there was bleeding that started and then I didn't know what was happening and then of course as like a researcher type, I started Googling and, and trying to read everything I could about miscarriage. Am I having one? And then not knowing and then reading like all the things that could happen when you have a miscarriage, like with clotting or with extreme bleeding or, you know, having to go to the doctor and get surgery. Like, how, how bad is this? And it was also around the six or seven week mark. And I had worked myself up completely into this state of, of really crazy stress. And by the time I got home and went to the doctor, which was only maybe like four or five days later, the doctor was like, oh, yeah, you had a miscarriage and it's, it's over like you're done. There's no more like there's nothing else that's going to happen. And so I would say my takeaway for people just in general, and also I'll apply this to my early pregnancy as well, is I tend to over research things as a form of control. I start like trying to like just Uh, I got to find a way to control this thing that I have no control over. So I start reading and I start reading way too much and then I work myself up. So after I got pregnant again, I had a terrible time in my first trimester. I had a lot of anxiety around having another miscarriage and what that would mean. And like Googling the statistics on almost a daily basis of like, okay, what are my odds now? (laughs) I see you laughing because you probably were doing the same things. Oh my gosh. I'm guilty of so guilty of all of this. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like what are the stats and and just, and, and there's nothing you can do. Like you literally have zero control. There's so much uncertainty and you just have to like let go of the reins and trust your body And I kept saying, like, what happens if I have a second miscarriage? And will I even want to try again? And so, yeah, it's just nobody talks about miscarriages when they have one, because I think that there's a lot of shame that people have around it. And I was really nervous to put that out in public that I had had one um, because I was worried about people would think about me. But I think talking about it, like bringing things that you're ashamed of or that you're, you're afraid you might be ashamed of and casting light upon those, that takes the shame away. And it's really helpful for other people to hear. So I wasn't happy to hear that you had had one, but I can totally like empathize and relate and know exactly what it felt like. And you mentioned that you had a hard time getting attached to this new idea of being pregnant. And I say even idea of it because I was the same way. I don't think I really accepted that I was really pregnant and this thing was going to go until like six months in. And I was afraid to share the news. I was afraid of, well, what if I share this publicly and I'm jeopardizing all my sponsorships? I'm jeopardizing like my future plans. And then I have another miscarriage. And now it's out there that like I've had multiple miscarriages. So what what do I do? So, yeah, I think that talking about it is helpful (laughs) and not Googling every little thing. And I've, I've tried to not do that as a new mom because, man, like there's so much bad, well, it's not bad information, but information out there that causes far more anxiety than you actually need to have. It'll also make you crazy because you'll read one thing and then you'll read the next thing that completely goes against the last thing you read. And then you don't know what to think. Yeah, it can just make you like spiral. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm trying to stay off of Google as well. Yeah. And I wish I had some advice for people who, you know, if they are pregnant and they are feeling like this anxiety, just saying, just let it happen and see what happens. It's that's not really helpful, but it's kind of what you have to do. I think that the exercise, like you said, was helpful unless you're worried that the exercise might cause miscarriage, (laughs) then that might cause you some stress. But just surrounding yourself with people that where you feel supported eating as healthy as you can, just focusing on the things that you do have control over and realizing that if it does happen, that you most likely will go on to have a healthy baby later and that it's okay to feel sad about it. And something I didn't do well was I did not process the emotions 
immediately after I just said, okay, on to the next thing. And I planned, okay, I'm going to do like all these races in the winter, in the early winter so that I can just move on with my life. And whenever I feel like trying again, you know, next year I will. And I, I think that letting yourself feel those, those emotions when you have had a miscarriage is really important. And that's not one of my strengths is letting in um, those types of feelings. It's a challenge for me as well. I feel like I was fortunate to have a few close friends who I did confide in and that, and that helped me process and work through it all. And then also reminded me, I mean, I was able to kind of throughout the pregnancy, tell them when my anxieties were creeping up or I mean, even towards the very end, I think, I think the very end is even just as scary because you've come so far and then the fear is really real of what if you came this far and something happens, right? Like happens during labor or I have a, I know people who have had stillbirths. So I actually, I felt my anxiety rise a bit towards the end, but I did have friends who reminded me that, you know, parenthood is one anxiety after the next. I mean, your anxiety doesn't really end with having the baby. It only just begins to morph into different anxieties over, over their health and well-being. So kind of settle into it because and this is the start of being concerned about your child for, you know, the rest of their life. And that was helpful perspective because, um, yeah, now my, now my concerns are, is Hazel breathing? Uh, <laughs> she spits up a lot. She spits up a lot. Is she going to choke on her spit up at night? I mean, like, it's definitely just morphed into <laughs> these other new worries. I'm laughing because I I put my hand on him at night to make sure he I have like a co-sleeping bassinet. So I just put my hand because I see, oh, is he still breathing? And I feel or even walking in the ergo carrier, like where you wear them. Like I put my hands to see feel the rib cage expanding. And I have Googled like, can they choke on their own spit up or his <laughs> his nose whistles at night? Is he going to is he going to suffocate? Because well, but everything is like. I mean, it is something to be taken seriously, the SIDS, the sudden infant death syndrome, but you hear about it constantly. So it gets you worked up over that too. Sure does. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've started to relax a little bit, but I know that it's still going to be a lifetime of the little, you know, concerns about how they are and and if they're going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, my one of my biggest concerns, and this will be much later, is when they start driving. Who knows what driving will look like, you know, 15 years from now, but <laughs> talk about continued exercises and letting go of control because that will be another one. <laughs> yeah. So about pregnancy, what are some stereotypes that you would like to see changed about just women in pregnancy? Ones I probably talked about the most is just that you need to take it easy. Easy is, I guess, relative to each person. And I mean, taking it easy is still moving my body. So, I mean, I saw that you, you know, would often post something like you're riding your mountain bike and you're doing a skill that to most people probably looks more advanced. And you would talk about, hey, for me, this is something that's like well within my conservative skill limit. So for you, you were taking it easy. And so I feel like I had a lot of people telling me to relax <laughs> or can't you just like back off? And in my mind, I, I was backing off from <laughs> what I was normally doing if they only knew. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of people out there who, like us, gain a lot out of exercise and movement and who need to hear the fact that their body is still capable of a lot while pregnant and who are inspired by us sharing our stories and who feel maybe a little bit better about being able to do their activity or try something because they've realized that one recommendation is not for all and that it really is so individual. Yeah. yeah it's interesting how and, people feel the need to like send us messages, us meaning like pregnant women and it's not just women, but men that people feel the need to send you messages to tell you to calm down or take it easy. I actually, it, it's surprising to me, like the, the audacity to tell somebody what to do while they're pregnant. It's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> A part of that is the internet, the problem with the internet, right? Like people suddenly feel that they have, I mean, I guess it's easier to make judgments when you have the anonymity of the internet. Is that how you say it? Yeah. <laughs> but like I've said, there's so much and, and I would often respond to them and tell them, Hey, there's a lot more that goes into it other, you know, before you can tell me 
what I need to do, whether I need to back off or not. They're just, there's a lot to consider. And that's a much bigger conversation and it's a very personal decision. Yeah. And I think you just nailed it on the head. It's a personal decision. And even within a couple, it's pretty interesting to be on the same page with your spouse. I've thought about this. Like, what if Matt told me, I don't want you to ride your bike while you're pregnant? I don't think I would have listened to him. I mean, within reason, I would have if he said, hey, like, I think you shouldn't be riding, you know, that one trail or that one feature, or I don't think you should be riding quite as long, or, you know, maybe you should consider that. But if my spouse told me you can't exercise or you can't go ride your bike, that wouldn't go well. (laughs) Well, yes. So number one, communication, communication that I am going to hear well is never, you can't do something. If you want to reach me, it's often, it should be saying something like, you know, have you considered or what do you think about instead of a, a statement of automatically telling me what I shouldn't do? Cause I kind of tend to like bristle against that just automatically. But Ted's really good about that. He knows that about me. And I think he also doesn't like being told what to do. And thankfully, you know, it does have a, I mean, it helps to have a spouse that understands your passion and what fuels you and how you operate. I think he operates very similarly. So that was, that was helpful. Um, But there was a time where he, there was a ride I wanted to do that he wasn't comfortable with. And when he did express that he wasn't comfortable with it, I knew it was something I should consider very seriously because he wasn't one to speak up. So it was probably something that, you know, I, I should think a little harder about. And I did. So. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Obviously, our like if you marry someone, they hopefully know what your communication style is and how to have a conversation around something like that. But your suggestion with communication might be really helpful for people's extended families to hear because extended family could come to you and say, I don't think you should be doing X, Y, and Z. But if they can present the information to you in a way that makes you want to consider it, I think that that's a really great tip. That's a great point. It's just a good communication tip in general, right? Like for helping, for wanting to get to the heart of something without telling someone what to do. Nobody really, actually, no one really likes to be told what to do, right? (laughs) They want to feel like at the end of the day, it was that they came to that conclusion on their own. So the best way to do that is just ask them questions that are kind of leading in that direction. So I have an interesting, you talked about identity before in some other podcasts you've been on. And I was just thinking about this, just I was on a long road climb yesterday up to the trail and I was thinking about identity and like we talk about loss of identity, but nobody really loses their identity, but your identity changes. So I think that there's a fear for sure around changing identity, because especially after you give birth, people say, oh, well, you're going to become a mom and you're going to become a totally different person. So during pregnancy, you're sitting there worried, well, am I going to be this different person? Am I going to know who I am anymore? And then after you have your baby, your identity can change. And probably as your kid gets older, your identity changes. So I think, first of all, a big fear that people have is not in losing their identity, but fear of change. And then constantly asking yourself, like, well, is it okay to change my identity? And what are the different elements that make up me and who I am? And where am I getting my worth from or my sense of self? And there are people who, you know, do get their sense of self primarily from their kids and, quote, live vicariously through their kids. And then there's people who are um, on the other end of the spectrum. So for you, I don't want to say loss of identity, but how are you maintaining your identity as Lara with mom being one of the new elements added into that? I mean, to be honest, like, I don't think much has changed other than my identity has just been added to. I mean, I feel like it's gratifying and exciting to be able to add motherhood to my identity, but I don't feel like I've had to take anything away, which that was the thing that I was most fearful of. I was fearful of the, that the things that I did love to do would have to be diminished in some way. And now that I have gone through it and now that I'm on the other side or begun the journey on the other side, I feel so much more at peace. And I, and I'm actually just, I want to advocate like for how great it is to be a mom because I've realized that if certain things are important enough to you, then they will remain important enough to you if you put them in a place of priority. 
And that's what I have done. Like my priorities before are still my priorities now. I just have some additional priorities as well, (laughs) some really important ones. So yeah, I just feel, I actually have come out of this just feeling like my life is more full. You know, just coming home from the hospital, I turned to Ted and said, I feel like Hazel was missing before and now we feel more complete. And that's such a cool feeling. So yeah, I'm just, I'm really enjoying this new phase and enjoying the fact that the things that are still important to me before can still be important to me now, just with a really special new addition. (laughs) Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, I don't feel like I'm this completely different person. I just feel like there's even more love in my life. And I feel like I actually really love being a new mom. And there's a lot of, I don't want to call it negativity, but people like focusing on the hard things instead of focusing on the great things. And I was actually really frustrated that anytime anybody brought up having kids, it was always like, well, get ready for sleep deprivation and get ready to lose all your freedom and just all these negative comments. And people would not have kids and have more than one kid if it was really that terrible. But people just like talking about the hard things. And I'm not sure why that is. But I actually haven't, I think I've been probably pretty lucky. So But the sleep deprivation part hasn't been nearly as bad as what everybody said it was going to be. Like, I certainly am up multiple times a night feeding my baby, and I'm exclusively breastfeeding my baby. But I was actually the most worried about the sleep deprivation because in my life, sleep has always been basically my number one priority, even as a teenager. And so I was really worried about what that was going to be like for me. And the sleep deprivation part isn't bad. Like, I'm happy to be up in the middle of the night feeding my baby. It's a really special thing to be able to do that. And yes, like there are changes in time management and scheduling and things like that. But in some ways, it makes you appreciate the time that you have even more. Like I remember before I became a quote professional cyclist where I had 100% freedom to ride my bike at any given moment. Bike riding, I don't want to say it meant more to me, but having like a limited amount of time to go ride made the ride more special. Whereas when you have the entire day to go ride whenever you feel like it, it's just different. So now kind of having more constraints over, I have less time to get the same amount of work done. It makes me more efficient and it makes me appreciate the time that I have. And I wanted, like I got a dog last year because I wanted to add in something to my life that would bring more love and make me slow down and focus on other things. And a baby is way more responsibility than a dog. But I thought that was a really good first stepping stone because it showed me that, yeah, like I do want to add in other things that aren't work and aren't bike riding and it adds more depth and and balance. And also it deepens my relationship with my partner. Oh man, that is so well said. I couldn't agree with you more on the topic of hearing a lot of negativity. I completely agree with you. And I think that's why when I, you know, the things that I post on social media, kind of my message that I'd like to get across is how much positivity is that I have found within motherhood and that I, this experience for me has just been really wonderful. And so I guess to anyone out there who maybe has been in my position in the past, who's wondering what life will look like on the other side, I want them to know that there are stories of, you know, that it's really great. And that, yeah, the sleep, I think one aspect of, I mean, I'm with you that nothing has been as bad as a lot of my fears or thing or statements that have been made to me. I do wonder if our background, I mean, you wrote a great article about how bike racing has helped you in the beginning of motherhood. I do think our background probably lends itself well to coping with, with the beginning of you know, when everything is a little crazy in the first few weeks postpartum, like we are maybe more adapted than others to um, managing a lot of fatigue. I mean, in some ways, like fatigue is almost become sometimes a, a normal state for us, right? Like, because we're always training and going full throttle traveling. and traveling all over the world. So there have been some days where I'm, I mean, I've, life feels really peaceful. I sit in a chair and feed my child for hours on end throughout the day. And a lot of that is actually really relaxing. A lot of that has allowed for like personal time to think about, think creatively and be more still than I've been in a long time. And there's a lot of great value in that. 
and yeah, getting up in the middle of the night, it's tiring, but we do a lot of things that are tiring. So, and it's so gratifying, right? Like you're, you're getting up in the middle of the night, but it's for one of the best reasons possible to help your child grow and thrive. And all they need to do is like, look at you and your heart just melts, right? Like, it's a very positive motivation to have to do something that is challenging like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on everything you just stated. <laughs> so let's talk about postpartum body because I was under the impression that I wasn't supposed to, or that I wouldn't be able to exercise for the six weeks after and like six weeks. That's also like the recommendation if you break a bone and all those things. And I have to say that I don't want to, I'm not bragging. I'm not saying that people should do this, but like I've broken bones and kept riding my bike. Like, I mean, within re like within safety, safe measures and things like that. So I, I don't like blanket recommendations because that applies to a, a mass population. To some extent saying I don't like a blanket recommendation I ask myself, am I being arrogant thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me? And there have been things that have happened postpartum where I was surprised and frustrated that they did happen to me. And I thought that I was somehow exempt from it, which we can talk about. But from a postpartum standpoint, I've heard and seen stories of athletes, like really elite athletes, having to take six plus weeks to get back into the sport. And I've seen uh, stories of athletes getting right back into their sport immediately after birth. But again, you just don't know what your body is going to be doing. So how did you decide for you what was the right thing? You know, it's funny when I would think about the things that I was most anxious about for whatever reason. Or I, no, I guess it, not for whatever reason. It, it makes a lot of sense knowing me. But the six weeks off postpartum was the thing that I was the most concerned about. I guess, after the health and well-being of my child. <laughs> I don't regularly take long periods of time off from exercise. And whether that's a good thing or not, it's not something that I knew how to mentally prepare for or what, what, how I was going to deal with it. And, you know, in the beginning weeks of when you're adapting, again, you're adapting to something that's so new, to not have... <laughs> movement as my therapy as an as an additional kind of stress i guess was something that i was really concerned about so i was prepared to take it one day at a time and i did know that um you know it could potentially be as long as 6 weeks it could be even longer you just i didn't know how labor was going to go um and i didn't know how my body would respond and now looking back i feel as though i happened to have a really probably the most positive experience I could have had next time could be completely different. So I'm just very grateful that I had this experience and it was so that my body responded so well and came around so quickly. I did not I didn't in no way expected it to be as easy as it was this time. I mean, I think what probably helped is I didn't spend a lot of time pushing. So I know that that can cause a lot of trauma and damage. And so maybe that was helpful to my recovery. You know, I went walking, let's say we left the hospital the day after giving birth, and we went out for just a little stroll, we ended up walking a mile, we didn't have goals of walking that far, we were literally just taking a very slow stroll around the neighborhood. And it just felt good to get sunshine on my face and fresh air and be out as a family and kind of feel like we were adapting to our, our new life. And then I took it from there and each day was a little, you know, it was just very similar to pregnancy where it's like, okay, yesterday I was able to do this. Maybe I can take it a step further and then wait and see how my body responds. And that's just kind of how it progressed. Each day I felt like I had the capacity to do just a little bit more. And if I saw that my body was, I think, you know, your body tells you whether you're overdoing it or not. And I would watch and wait to see if there were any negative consequences. And if there weren't, then I felt like my own medical protocol was telling me that it was, <laughs> it was safe to progress a little farther. I was really scared to sit on the saddle for the first time that I attempted to ride, which was six days postpartum. And I know for some people that probably sounds ridiculously soon. And it, I mean, it, it, I never expected that I'd feel comfortable to sit on the saddle that quickly. For whatever reason, I didn't have any discomfort. And 
it felt good. And I spun my legs around and I actually, you know, I, I rode on the trainer just in case I needed to stop at any time. And I felt like I could kind of control my environment. But that first workout, I will never forget how energizing and invigorating. And I mean, I was on cloud nine and that just being able to sweat and being able to have range of motion again and not feel like this, you know, big, have your belly obstructing your movement. It just felt so good. So yeah, I I feel like I was lucky this time around to have everything kind of go smoothly. But tell me about your experience. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually really inspired because you were like you had your baby before me. And so I was able to kind of just see what you were doing. And honestly, like the first week after giving birth, I thought, wow, that's amazing that she got back on her bike on day six, because on day six, I felt like there's absolutely no way I can ride my bike right now. But by day seven and day eight, I started thinking like, I actually feel pretty good. I kind of want to ride. And then I thought, no, like, let me just wait a few more days and see how I feel. So I got back on my bike. And again, like people listening this is not to make you feel bad about yourself if you took six months to get back on your bike. This is just in case somebody listening feels the same way. It feels like they sh- they could and they feel good when they get back on their bike, that it's okay to do so as long as, you know, a doctor hasn't told you maybe not to. <laughs> yeah, I got back on my bike after 10 days and I just went for a really easy 30-minute spin on the road. And like you said, I was nervous to sit on the saddle as well. I had, in terms of damage, like superficial damage, it was pretty fortunate. I had a very small internal tear with only three stitches. And the only pain that I felt with that was like shifting around in my bed, like sitting up and trying to like move around on the sheets because stuff would kind of pull a little bit. But on the bike, it didn't feel bad at all. But I, I eased in really slowly. But the one thing that I will say is that I do have pelvic floor damage. And that has been an interesting experience because at six weeks postpartum is when you're supposed to go see your pelvic floor physio. And I'm, I'll be six weeks at the end of the week, I guess, but I can't go see a pelvic floor physio because of all the COVID stuff. So I had a, I I did see a pelvic floor physio. I went to two or three appointments just to get familiar with those muscles and connecting with those muscles before I had my baby. But the week after birth was, I had, I don't want to say it was a hard birth, but it was a very intense birth where there was some really rapid dilation that caused some more damage than it wouldn't have caused if it was a slower transition. There's like excess bleeding and things like that. I guess I'm kind of rambling a little bit. With the bleeding, it took me about four weeks to completely stop bleeding. And that was something that I was looking at as a metric of, am I going too hard? Has the bleeding increased? But I would find that the bleeding would be even better after a bike ride. And the bleeding was very light for the last two of those four weeks. But the first week after having the baby, like I couldn't hold my pee at all. Like I'd like be walking and it was really weird. I'd be like, oh my God, I have to pee right now and I can't hold it. And I would have to like run for the bathroom. And having that kind of thing was was really surprising and really scary to me. And like having a lot of clots and bleeding was also very scary to me. And I could walk, but I was walking really slow and that was scary to me. So my expectations around what that week postpartum looked like was a little bit different. I was expecting it to be easier. So people listening, don't be afraid if those things are happening. And even now it's five weeks postpartum. Yeah, like I've been assessing this and it makes me nervous to put this out into the world, but I'm just going to do it. Like when I stand up to pedal, I feel leaking and I don't like that. And that makes me question like, well, am I supposed, should I not stand up to pedal anymore? But this is why you do pelvic floor physio is because leaking is really normal. It's not something that has to be forever, but it's something that you have to rehab giving birth is an injury to all the muscles in your pelvis. So talking yeah. talking about them and normalizing that this can happen and this does happen to many people and that there is a way to rehab it, I think is, is really important. Yeah, that's so true. Um, it's completely normal. But then I have also one thing to keep in mind is a lot of people think it's normal for the rest of their life. And a pelvic, my pelvic physio was reminded me that it's not normal you know, long term. So it is something that can be rehabbed. If it is happening to you, you can work on it and strengthen and fix it. So you just have to learn, learn what those exercises are and um, have a professional help you. (laughs) Yeah. And that was one of the comments I made earlier of, you know, maybe it's arrogance thinking like this isn't going to happen to me. Like, 
you can be an elite athlete. You can go see pelvic floor physio. You could have like a lot of control over your pelvic floor during even during your pregnancy. But that doesn't mean that you're exempt from that happening to you. So it's not to make you guys afraid of it. It just, I wish that I had had more open expectation of this can happen and it's okay if this happens and I can rehab it when, if and when it does happen. And it's not like this really horrible thing. Absolutely. And, you know, I think whether I, you know, if I were to have had a harder postpartum recovery, I think I still would go about, I would think I would have a similar mindset, whether I could get on a bike or not. And my mindset would be that of, what was I able to do today? And can I go a little farther tomorrow? And maybe that looks like something as simple as I can do 10 Kegels and tomorrow I'll do 12. Or maybe I can walk across the street to the mailbox and tomorrow I can walk a little bit farther. I mean, I think as athletes, we do have a really good sense of our body. And when it's telling us to slow down and when we need to not push any farther and when we can. And so just really trusting that your body is going to tell you what you can do and what you can't. Yeah, it's really well said. And just, yeah, just being confident to just turn around and go home if you don't feel good and having no shame in that. Yes. And I, I appreciate, I mean, you would sometimes post, we often would like look at each other's activities for the day and you would uh, often seeing that you put in the work would help motivate me to when I wasn't feeling a lot of motivation. And then I really appreciated when you would post that you weren't feeling it and that you were tired and that you called it quits because that's actually, that's so much, I think for us being hard charging, you know, hard, just people with strong work ethics, it's really, sometimes you feel a weakness in calling it quits or turning around. I think it does help to have the added reminder of that you're helping another life thrive. And so it's even more important to be cognizant of what your body is telling you. But it was helpful for me to just see that it was okay sometimes to remind me that sometimes it was okay to pedal for 10 minutes and decide that it wasn't my day. And that's really equally as important as whether you're able to get the activity in or not. Yeah, like the recovery from any injury or even just when you're tired, the grace and self-compassion to just treat yourself nicely and with respect and with kindness. That's a great takeaway that could go anywhere in your life. Yes, it's still a constant challenge um, because I think the battle is always there of am I being lazy or am I, you know, am I telling myself I'm tired or am I <laughs> legitimate? I, or am I legitimately tired and do I really need the rest? And so sometimes the battle is like, I, that's why I appreciated just your comment of just show up because that was something that I could adapt every day. Okay. I'm just going to show up and then I can give myself, if I show up, then I can give myself the ability to say, this isn't my day and I'll feel and be able to be okay with it and feel as though, you know, not feel like I'm just throwing in the towel or being lazy. Yeah. If you overcome just getting started, then you know, you're not just being lazy if you turn around and go home. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we're pretty much out of time. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think is important that I missed? Oh man, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> there's, there's so much you could talk about with pregnancy and postpartum. And I'm sure just, I mean, it's still so early for both of us. I'm sure as we get back into racing, whenever that is with this COVID stuff, and as our kids get older, there'll be even more topics that we probably just aren't even aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a, I mean, that's one thing that I think I've been a little bit nervous to share my experience because I think, who am I? I'm six weeks into motherhood. What do, what do I have to, you know, I'm no expert. But, you know, I've just, I look back before even becoming pregnant and I look at the people who have, the athletes especially that I've loved to follow who have shared their experience and it's meant so much to me to be able to see, you know, what their story was and I've had just great interest in it. And so that's, that's kind of, I'm keeping that in mind when I, when I share my story, it's, it's definitely not that I have figured it all out or that I, yeah, that I, that I know that I'm an expert. That's definitely not the case, but I love the fact that as women, we can share with each other and learn from each other. And I mean, even this is one example of like, because we did that, we became friends and yeah. there's something so cool about that. So 
yeah, I just encourage other women to do the same. Um, every time someone reaches out to me on instant mess or direct message and says that they appreciate hearing my story and then shares theirs, I just, it feels really good. It feels like this is what we should be doing. And it's also like, it's something really great that comes out of social media in this day of, you know, it's not just all about promoting yourself. It's, it's a platform for connecting with others. And we need that, especially more than ever. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. And the tribe of moms is the coolest thing ever. Like it's, I, I, it was a club that I wasn't a part of and wasn't aware of. And it just been so cool to see how supportive and and dads, like I'm not going to leave out men um, because I've had some really cool messages from men. And also I, I had a guy reach out saying he was hesitant to have kids because of how much his life would change and watching what I'm doing is making him want to have kids. So it's not just women having effect on women, like women and men can affect each other. That's so true. That's awesome. I love it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And today was a little bit different. I talked a lot more than I normally do because I wanted it to be kind of collaborative sharing stories, which felt a little bit weird, like to talk so much, but I really appreciate you coming on and yeah, I'd love to do this again sometime. It was really fun. It was a chat between friends. So yeah. And what, <laughs> where, can, where can people find you? And I mean, we'll link all these in the show notes as well. But where can people find you so they can follow your journey? Yeah, um, primarily Instagram, Laura Cameron King. And then I also and we're both on a new platform for athletes called the pro kit. And I created a collection on there where I'm kind of syncing and bringing in all my pregnancy and motherhood related content into onto one page so it's easy to find so I'll, I'll send you that link as well awesome thanks thanks i hope you guys enjoyed that episode with myself and laura king make sure to follow her on instagram and on strava and i put a link in the show notes to books mentioned in the show to the training article on pro kit that laura wrote and also to any other resources that you might want. I also put a link in the show notes to my podcast interview whenever I was on the Breakfast with Boz show talking about Mother's Day. Thank you so much for listening to the show, for being a part of my journey and my life, and for being so supportive and awesome. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you right back here next week.